the optimal life. What's going on, sir? How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks. Good, good deal. So I heard you on a podcast. I wanted to start here. We'll get to your business stuff and focus on that. But I wanted to start here. I heard you on a podcast recently, and you were talking about your relationship with your wife, Christy, and how the D word, we don't say the D word. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And you also mentioned the kids. I thought that was fascinating. I wanted to dig into this a little bit. So talk, talk to us a little bit about why you don't use the word divorce and then piggyback off of the what you were talking about, how, how your wife comes first. Well, so thank you for that. What's funny about that podcast is that the subject matter of that podcast was about business and about exiting all the things that I do as a, as a business coach every day as the real Jason Duncan. Well, I had just, you know, a couple of weeks prior to that had celebrated my 27th wedding anniversary. And so I was hanging out with Brad, the, the host of the show, pretty much all day leading up to the recording. And we had been talking about where we went on our anniversary and and uh, he was just fascinated that I had been married that long and had older kids. And uh, so so during the podcast, I don't even remember now what brought it up, but he brought up the question and uh, we talked about my relationship with my wife. And, and so that just turned into, I guess, maybe five or seven minutes during the show of what we talked about in marriage. But his his team put a clip together of that little 30 seconds of me talking about the fact that we don't say divorce, we don't talk about it. And then my wife comes first, put that on the internet. And it was like, as of today, it's like 8.4 million views. So wow. uh, it's crazy. That wasn't even the, even the point <laughs> of the show. It's always the unexpected nuggets. That it is. It, 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 it's crazy. So, um, and I think by far it has eclipsed every clip that Brad's ever put out on any topic whatsoever. So it's weird. That's weird. Now, you, you didn't ask this, but I'm gonna tell this part of the story too. Then I'll get back to answering Nate your question. But, but my wife, who uh, doesn't even listen to my podcast, <laughs> she supports me, but it's not her thing. She's not an entrepreneur, so she doesn't listen to him. So I, I told her, I said, you really should listen to that one when I was that I was a guest <laughs> on because I talked about you. And she goes, really? And so she listened to it. And then the next day, she sends me a uh, direct message through Instagram of another coach who's a business coach talking about divorce, similarly to the way that I talk about it, but, but in a different context. And I follow that guy and I don't really, I don't really know him, but I reached out to him. I said, Hey man, it looks like you've blown up on that particular topic. I'm blown up on this topic. We should get together. So we haven't done that yet, but, but evidently there is a need for people to work that out. And the comments, is that, section, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking who, who are you talking about? Uh, Sebastian, um, Ingress, I think is his last name. I'd have to look him up. Okay. I, I mean, I follow him, but I don't really know him. I but I've heard uh, of Sebastian Unger. Or, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something, yeah, but, but great dude. I mean, he's a very evidently a, a pretty successful business coach in his own right. Um, and then we're talk, of course talking about Brad Lee with dropping bombs for the for the, the episode where all this kind of blew up for me. But but if you go and look at the comment section, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious to me that that my perspective is fairly uh, minority perspective in terms of the way people view marriage. Because when I got married 27 years ago, and uh, my parents have been married, it would be 50 years this year. Um, when I got married and when they got married and, and most, like most of my family, when they stood before the congregation or the family or whoever, and they said, till death do us part, that's what they meant. 
but it's pretty obvious to me that in the comment section you can see that that's not most people's perspective of marriage that it's until uncomfortability or uh, uh until you annoy me or until i find something better to do us part and and no they don't say that they don't say that but but in the comment section you can see that that's the outcome and so many comments on that were like um, well, if it's not working, why should you stay miserable? Well, because you work, it's called work, man. You got to make this work. If we all gave up on things that didn't work when we put half-ass effort into it, we'd all walk away from everything. So marriage is, is a relationship and it, it requires a commitment of both people. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. Because Nate, if you and I have a work project that we're doing and we, we say, I'll do this 50%, you do that 50%. Anytime something's not done, guess who Guess who I'm going to think didn't do his part? You. And that's the same thing in marriage. 50-50 doesn't work. It's got to be 100-100. And I've had that, I've had that, you know, that mindset since we got married. And so, <laughs> you know, in the comment section, people make comments like, well, your wife must uh, resent you. She's probably banging the trash man or the milk guy or whatever. Like that is such an insane perspective. I can't even get my head wrapped around it. And then the fact that my kids are second to my wife in my life, you know, people had all these comments about, well, your kids must be neglected. They must resent you. No, we have a very healthy and great relationship. Um, anyway, let me that, ask you real quick, Jason, let me yeah. ask you, what, why are they thinking that your wife is unhappy or banging the trash or whatever these crazy people have to say? What, what, what about that clip made them even think that? Who who knows, man? Like so it there is was nothing you said to make them think that. No, it's 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 and it was only a thirty second snippet of everything that else that was talked around it. This is right. this is a classic case of pulling stuff out of context and then building an entire uh, entire story around your perception of reality. And as leaders, your job and my job is to make sure that people know that perception is not reality. Perception is almost never reality. Perception is simply perception and it's a skewed version of what is really happening. And so for me, the reality is my wife and I have a fantastic relationship. We don't, it's not without troubles. I mean, there are times we disagree and that type of thing, but we have a fantastic relationship. Uh, we, we are faithful to one another. We are very supportive. We're loving. We, my, our kids, we have a great relationship with our adult children. Uh, one, one's moved out of the house. One still lives with us. And what we have done works for us. And I would assume that it would work for everyone, but I'm not imposing that. And sure. that was another thing. Don't you dare impose this on me. Well, okay. If you want to live till uncomfortability, do you part? That's up to you. But I think that's a terrible way to go into a marriage. So, yeah. So you were basically saying, we don't even throw the word divorce around. We're going to have our challenges, but we don't use that word. That word is off limits because we're not even we're not even going to go there. We're not going to consider that. And the risk of throwing that word around when you are in a marriage is that the other person might 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 double die and say, "Okay, let's do it." Yeah. So that, well, right. That's something. I, I think it's unhealthy. Um, so so think about it in a non-marriage situation. Let's say it's a business relationship, and uh, every time your business partner just pretend it's you and one other person. Every time you have your week weekly meetings of just seeing how things go. If you, if you propose as a 50, 50 partner in this business relationship, I propose that we hire a, a new administrative assistant blah, 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 or whatever. And the other person goes, no, that's dumb. And if you do it, I'm leaving. Okay. That would present such a terrible relationship in that business partnership that it would inevitably fall apart because it's a, Hey, when you do something I don't like, or pisses me off, I'm out, I'm out of here, buddy. 
uh, well, that threat actually will come true. That, that threat will turn into reality if you voice it. Now, a business relationship and a marriage relationship are different and there's a different connectivity. I mean, I, I believe that when a man and woman come together in a marriage relationship, they become one. I, I truly believe that because I, I think that's what the scripture, the Bible teaches is that we become one. It's a unique uh, it's a unique bonding that doesn't happen anywhere else in life and relationships. And I think that that marriage relationship needs even more protection than a business relationship. In other words, I burn the ships. There's no way out of this thing. Now, those comments in the comment section were like, well, how terrible to trap your wife or to trap yourself into it. No, we created a great thing that we wouldn't want out of. And when things get rocky and the, you know, the waves start crashing, we don't look for the lifeboat to get out. We're like, hey, we're in this together. It's you and me, babe. We're going to make this work because we love each other and we have children together. And we're building a life together. That is beautiful and healthy. And wouldn't everybody want that? Well, it is. And let me tell you, I'm going to give you the flip side of the coin. I am a divorced man. So, and I've got three daughters with my ex-wife. Um, now, did we throw around the D word? No, not really. But there were times where things probably were said that shouldn't have been said. And you start making threats and you start doing things. So some people I truly believe are not meant to be together for an eternity. Um, you do make a, a vow, but uh, again, you try to work through things as best as you can. Everyone's got a different situation. So my situation is different than yours and yours is different than the next guys and so on and so forth. But I think it is beautiful what you're talking about because it, it makes so much sense. I mean, that what you're, what you're preaching is nothing, but it's very healthy. And on top of that, you're saying, Hey, we got to make sure that our foundation comes first, because if the kids come first, to an extent, obviously, these are generalizations, but if you guys aren't putting yourselves first and it's always about the kids and you lose yourselves, those kids, like you said, your, your oldest is already out of the house. So what happens when the other one's out of the house and now it's just the two of you left there? Then, then what do you guys have? Yeah, there's a huge, there's a huge uh, bump in the divorce rate after the adult kids leave the house because for parents who put kids first, and again, people, people have to listen to the context of this conversation, because if you pull, pull out what I'm about to say into a little snippet, you're going to think that I think kids are, are disposable and you can make more. That's not what I'm saying. Although, although you can make more, that part is certainly true. But, but I think that the, the bump in divorce rate happens after the adult kids leave. Why? Because if parents are putting those kids first and are, are coddling the kids to the extent that they, they don't pay attention to the relationship between them and their spouse, uh, what happens when the kids are gone? Now you're in this big house. It's just the two people who've been ignoring each other for the last 18 to 25 years, depending on how long you've had children. Now what? Well, you've you've squandered the best years of your relationship and and the the ability to dote on one another and and serve and care and love one another. Now what? Now what? And you'll see if you look at the divorce statistics, they they bump right after the kids leave the house. So sure. my my perspective on that, Nate, is that. Kids need to understand that as a parent, I'd take a bullet for them. As a parent, I'll provide for them every single way that is possible and necessary for their development and growth and vitality and fulfillment in life. We've spent so much time, energy, money, sweat, tears, everything on our kids because they are extremely important. But if a choice is made on a relationship, which it's never going to be made, that's kind of a silly thing to say, but, but the mentality is that my wife comes first. Like I'm not siding with the kids over my wife ever. 
Now, there may be in a time where I agree with them and, and I don't agree with my wife and when we're having a discussion. Absolutely. That, right? right. But but if but if they're like, if you love me, dad, you're going to come with me, you know, or or that, that's crazy. Like my wife, we are one. We are one. You as a child are going to grow up and you're going to all go off and you're going to leave me and your mom and you're going to go off and cleave to your wife or to your husband. There's going to be a new relationship, a new one that's going to be created. That doesn't mean I discount my kids. It doesn't mean I don't love them and don't provide for them. And it doesn't mean that they're not first among all other choices, but it does mean that my wife is the number one relationship on this earth for me. That's well said and, and makes a lot of sense. And uh, anyone that disagrees with that, they're entitled to. But sure, I, <laughs> it, I don't it, it impose you this. When, when you when you get somebody so triggered about something that you're saying that you're just kind of just sharing some insight into the way you guys have made it work, it makes you wonder what's going on in their own lives. But that's that's probably for a separate time. Um, <laughs> but you also so you mentioned the scripture, Jason, um, and I know that in your prior life you were doing pastoral ministry for over a decade. Yeah. So how do you go from the ministry? to business consulting. Take us through that. <laughs> well, um, so the first step was I, I began uh, to get to it. When you're working behind the curtain, so to speak, of ministry in the westernized church, you start seeing things that, um, that most people don't see. You're sitting in the pews out front. You're not seeing behind the scenes. And, 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 and for me, this is my experience. Again, not a, not a blanket statement for everybody who's a pastor, every, every westernized uh, institutional Christianity church. Um, but for me, I started seeing things that didn't add up. I started seeing people more interested in keeping peace than being peacekeepers. Uh, I, I, and what I mean by that is they were, let, let's not, let's not ruffle the feathers of the people who are giving. Let's not ruffle the feathers of people who are attending. Let's not ruffle the feathers of people who are serving because we want to do something bold in the name of Jesus. Uh, if we do that, uh, that might ruffle feathers. So we want to, we want to keep peace rather than going out actively being peacekeepers in the world. We want to, we want to protect the income of the church into so many ways. The church turns has turned into a business. And now again, not true everywhere, but I think it was my experience, and certainly it's not a not a uh, not a uh, an indictment against the churches where I served. I served in lots of great churches of great people, but generally speaking, as an individual follower of Jesus Christ, I looked at this and said, "This is not what I think we're supposed to be doing. There's got to be more than this, and therefore I can no longer be a part of this system." So I. Volunteer, voluntarily stepped away from the from the pastoral work, uh, from getting paid to doing it, and moved into uh, teaching school. I thought, okay, where can I go to be a good influence on people? Where I can actually um, take take the gospel of the kingdom into a place that that'll make a difference? Because it wasn't making a difference, at least the way that I thought it should. When I'm just preaching to a group of people, the same group of people every Sunday and every Wednesday. So when I went into the classroom, I got to be that kind of silent example because uh, obviously I didn't go in and start proselytizing my students. But I got they got to see what it, what it looked like to be a man of faith who had integrity, who did the things the right way. And they got to see it. And when questions came up about what I truly believe, I got to do that. So that's where I moved into teaching now. The question then is, how did I get to where I'm today? As Let a, me as just a stop you coach. real quick. Let me, if you don't yeah. mind, Jason, uh, what, were you, what grade were you teaching? Eighth grade. And I taught Eighth American grade. history. That's tough, man. That, that's a Loved tough it. age group. Loved uh, the age group. My favorite. Yeah. I hated high schoolers. I didn't want anything to do with those guys. I didn't want any middle schoolers, but eighth grade was 
Eighth, eighth grade was like the perfect spot for me. Right in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so eighth grade, what, what subject were you teaching? American history. Yeah. American history. Okay. I'm just, just curious to see how you went from the, the ministry to then were you going into math and, and physics? I, ha- I had a feeling no, but just wanted to. No, well, sure. what's funny is that I, I'm, a, I'm somewhat of an artist. I got accepted to two art schools. I ended up going to into ministry, got a degree in ministry. But but uh, so I, I thought, well, it's natural. I'm going to teach art. I'll teach art. But then I went and did my, my student teaching and I sat in on a couple of art classes and I was like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. As a student, I was having a great time, but as a, as the teacher, man, it sucked. So uh, I went back to my professor, the guy who's over my program and my master's program. And I said, hey, like, I don't want to do art. What, what are my options here? And uh, so he looked at my undergrad. And of course, I had tons of history classes because I'd got a degree in Bible. So that's technically history. And he said, hey, what about history? And I said, OK. So that's how I started teaching history. Oh, interesting. OK, so you ended up, you did the, the ministry and then you went to teaching. That was about a 17 year span. Now we want to get to the good stuff. How did that transition then to this whole, you know, exiting lifestyle? Well, in um, in 2010, the uh, Great Recession caught up with uh, education uh, districts all across the United States, school districts, and ours was no different. And I taught in the Nashville area, not in the Nashville district, but in the Nashville area uh, in a county just north of Nashville. And they had to cut a lot of teaching positions throughout the county due to budget cuts coming out of the recession. Like everything, I, I, I think people forget because of what we're going through now with the uh, the, the pandemic, I think they forget how bad it was back then, generally speaking across all sectors of the economy. And so my principal came to me one day and he's like, Hey man, uh, I'm really sorry, but I cannot renew your contract for the following school year. And, uh, now keep in mind, I was the number one teacher in my County for my subject matter. Uh, I was a model teacher. I was, I had a, I was highly qualified for seventh through 12th grade American history. I was highly qualified K through 12, uh, physical education, even though I never taught PE, um, and I had my certificate as an administrator, so I could move into administration. So I was prepared to be in education for the rest of my, my career. And uh, so that day was a pretty sad day. And my first inclination was to go get another teaching job because I loved it so much. I enjoyed it. But, dude, there were nobody hiring teachers. You just couldn't get a teaching job. Now, I probably could have moved out of state somewhere, but I didn't want to move. Nashville's my home. This is where I wanted to stay. So I looked at all my options and I thought, okay, I could, I can't go teach, even though that's what I want. I could go back to the corporate world and get a sales job because I'm really good as a salesperson. Or I could give a shot at this entrepreneurship thing. And that's the choice that I made. And so I gave myself a deadline. I said, uh, if this doesn't work by August the 15th of 2011, because that was my last paycheck from the county. Um, if that doesn't work by then, I'll go get a quote, real job somewhere. And on August the 12th, three days before my self-imposed deadline, I rode the elevator up to a conference room in a uh, hospital and made the pitch of my life and turned out to be a $2.3 million win for me. So uh, it worked out real well. Wow. What was the pitch? Uh, Without getting into too much detail, what, what did you pitch? So I started a company uh, called Energy Lighting Services, and we we did uh, the idea was we would go in and retrofit lighting systems in large buildings like hospitals and, and warehouses and big facilities like that with LED lighting. So if you think about it in terms of time in 2010, 2011, that was just becoming commercially viable. Now it's pretty commonplace. Anywhere you go, there's LED lights above you, but it was not common then. And people didn't understand how much money could be saved. I and mean, you could save literally 90 percent 
of your electricity costs in your lighting system by switching to LEDs. So the, the savings paid for the project itself. So that's what I was, that's what we did. And, and that company, I still own that company to this day. I'm not involved in the daily operations at all. I've got a new CEO. I've got a, a four vice presidents who run everything. We're growing, things are going well, but but that company was the company that, that kind of started it all for me as an entrepreneur. And I learned um, the hard way how not to build a business that revolves around me, because that's what I did. I built a business that revolved around me as the personality, as the number one sales guy, the, the number one administrator, the guy who kind of kept everything together. And when I got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, I, I don't know that I want to do this every day for the rest of my life. How do I get out? There wasn't a way out because I was the I was it. I was the business. So that's when I started discovering through process of trial and error, how do I delegate? How do I set up systems? How do I invest in people the right way so that I can step away from daily operations yet maintain ownership? And that's what it took me about two and a half years, three years almost to, to, to figure that out. But once I stepped away and got through my initial identity crisis, because I'd been the president and CEO of ELS for so long, I didn't know how to introduce myself. But I wasn't acting as that guy. I got through about a six month uh, identity crisis and then realized, wait a minute, I'm a teacher. That's what God created me to do. I'm not going to go back to the classroom, but how can I use my gifts of teaching and leadership to help other people? And that's when I decided, you know what? I bet there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are sick of being stuck and trapped in the day-to-day operations who would love to learn to do what I did. And now that's what I do every day. And it's, it's, I love it. it it's now the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. That's incredible. You would have never pictured that when you were in your doing the ministry <laughs> stuff and then going off and teach. It's amazing how sometimes a real negative event leads to such a beautiful opportunity, which is exactly what you you were crushed. You had to go home and tell your wife you just lost your teaching job. Yeah, that was a bad in, day in 2010. And then what a year later or something thereabouts, you made the pitch of your life, and and, and here you are over 10 years doing this business consulting thing, growing your brand, growing your business. It's, it's incredible. But when you back to what you were saying, you weren't, you weren't the sole proprietor. I just want the audience to understand what you're saying here. You weren't a sole proprietor in the terms of you were just a one man show. You had employees, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you I had, had a bunch uh, of different employees yet you were wearing all the hats is what you're saying. And you weren't delegating enough and you probably didn't feel comfortable with people even making decisions without everything running through you at the beginning. That's true. And that, that that's called the hero syndrome, by the way. That's what I call it. I think every entrepreneur deals with it on early stages. And the entrepreneurs who never grow out of it always have a job. They'll always have a job, meaning they're, they're, they're a job owner, not a business owner. But those who grow out of it get to be owner investors and they get to be true entrepreneurs. And uh, so for me, I had great employees. As a matter of fact, some of my employees have still been with me for you know 10 years. They're fantastic employees. They're great people, great leaders. But I have built systems that 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 they relied on me for. How do we do this, Jason? What about this? What about this? That doesn't mean they're incompetent. And certainly if they're listening, I don't want them to think that that discounts their abilities or skills. But but nevertheless, it still built a system around my influence and my influence was the thing that shackled the business from extreme growth. Had I not, had I not done that, had I, had I built the systems and processes and given delegated appropriately from day one, I would have a lot more uh, money in the bank. I'd have, I'd have a lot higher net worth. My business would be much more profitable, I'd be valued at a much higher valuation. And I think my employees would have, uh, 
have a lot more uh, enjoyment and fulfillment in their job, even more than they do today. Well, you probably see this so often. CEOs are so often in the way, especially small businesses. A lot of times the CEOs and small businesses are, are in the way of the business prospering. They're not putting in the systems. They're not putting in the processes. They're not delegating. They're not innovating. They're not pivoting. Um, they might be smart people, but some of them, sometimes they're kind of their own, their own worst enemy, at least in some of the experiences I've had. Uh, so I want to talk to you about how you help these guys. And the, you've kind of touched on it, but let's dig into it a little bit more because your theme is this exit lifestyle, exit without exiting, which I think you mean step away from the business and go on vacation, or you're able to not always be there without selling off the business. So um, talk about these four core principles to living the exit lifestyle. So the first first of the four core principles is, as we've talked about, embracing delegation. Yeah. Um, so many entrepreneurs either think they're terrible at it or they think they're good at it, but there's not many people in between who are really good at it. Mm-hmm. Like they think they're good or they think they're bad, but there's very few that are in the middle that actually do it the right way. So delegation is this first core principle, understanding that delegation is not just assigning a task to someone because anybody can do that. Uh, Delegation is assigning and trusting and empowering that person to act on your behalf. Those three things are what delegation truly is. As a matter of fact, my TED talk that I gave was called the ironic prison of entrepreneurship. And my entire talk was on that point, this idea of embracing delegation and how to do it. So I train my clients how to do that. And there are very specific ways you can learn to delegate um, as opposed to confiscating, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs do. They give a job to someone and then watch over their shoulder as they do it. And then when they don't do it right, they're like, I'll I'll do it. That's confiscation, not delegation. Or, Or the other side of that pendulum is they give it to someone, they assign it and then walk away and never check back in. That's abdication. That's not delegation. So I, I really spend a lot of time with my clients going through that process of, of true delegation. And what's this margin theory related to the delegation? So margin theory is a theory that actually was uh, uh, proposed by a guy named Howard Yale McCluskey back in the 70s and 80s. He was a gerontologist. He studied elderly people. And his whole premise, the premise behind his study was, how do we get older people to learn new things? And it's the proverbial, how do you teach an old dog new tricks? Well, his whole study was around sociology and gerontology. But as I read that, I was working on my my PhD when I learned this. I'd never heard about this before. And when when I heard it, I was like, whoa, there's tremendous business application here. So what his theory was is that there's this equation, this ratio rather, between power and load leads to whether or not you have margin. And if you have margin, you're able to do better, bigger, newer things. So for all of us as entrepreneurs, we want margin. We want more time, more money, more freedom so that we can do the extra. That's where success actually happens. But the the way you get to margin is this ratio between power and load. So power is every the ability you have to do everything. So that could be energy, know-how, uh, connections or money. It could be any of those things. Power are, is those things. And then load is all the crap you got to do. Like load is infinite. Load's everything you got to do. And so if your load is always higher than your ability to do it, you have no margin. You feel stressed out all the time and you're never going to be successful. That's how most entrepreneurs live their life. High load, low power, no margin. Well, if you can flip that script and offload as much as possible, which is 
code for delegation. If you can offload as much as possible, that lowers the load. And if you also coincide that with raising your power, increasing your power by hiring a coach, reading books, listening to podcasts like yours, doing these things, it increases our mental capacity, our mental power. If we, if we handle our money correctly, it increases our financial power. Power goes up, load goes down, margin starts to happen. And then you're looking around going, wow, this is the life that I wanted. That's what the margin theory is. And I spend a lot of time digging into that with my clients as well. Beautiful, beautiful. That's uh, very interesting. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, number two, eliminate stress. Come on, Jason, entrepreneurs, they never, they're never stress-free. What's going on here? How, how does this happen? Stress is not caused by the endurance of stressful situations. Rather, it is truly caused by too many open cycles at any one time. That is a universal law that most people don't know. Most people think they're stressed because of an action, stressed because of a thing, stressed because of a situation, stressed because of some activity or stressed because of something. But in reality, the stress we feel in our lives is only a result of having too many open cycles at any one time. So the question then, well, what, what's, what's an open cycle? Well, an open cycle is anything that has a start, a change, and a stop. It could be a relationship, has a start, change, and a stop. It could be a have to pay this bill, has a start, a change, and a stop. It could be I need to write a proposal. It could be I need to create a, create a podcast. I got to record this. It's, it's that long, ever-expanding list, ever list of things to do. Those are all open cycles. And the way I, the way I look at it is if you, if you pretend for a moment that every open cycle in your life is written on a single piece of paper, no matter how big the deal is. Like today, you and I had to record this podcast. So that's one open cycle in our lives today. Another open cycle is I have a lunch meeting today with a colleague. That's an open cycle. I've got to go get uh, my pick up my wife's car from the tire shop because she had a nail in her tire. That's another one. So those are all open cycles, but they're written on a single page. And then you think about the bigger stuff that in our lives. Maybe maybe we've got a family member dealing with cancer that we need to go uh, go go to visit them in the hospital or we or we'll put them on our prayer list or take them a covered dish or whatever. Those are all individual open cycles, no matter how big or small it is. Then the question is, if it's all in a single piece of paper and you bound them together as a book, how thick is your book? Mm -hmm. The thicker the book, the more stress you feel. And that is a truism across every human in, on the planet. So the thinner your book is, the less stress you feel. And if you know how to manage and manipulate your open cycles correctly and don't let cycles open that don't need to be, you can 100% eliminate stress from your life. So if you're ever feeling stress bubble up in your life, all you do is an open cycles inventory, which is one of the techniques I train my clients on. You do an open cycles inventory and within an hour, you're back to oh, homeostasis, feeling good, blood pressure is down, stress is gone. That is one key component to being able to live the exit lifestyle. Because if you walk away from daily operations and you still have a really thick book of crap that you got to do, you're not going to enjoy it. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about that. And it's interesting insight. And then you've got, of course, my, my, this is my number one uh, systems and processes. And then of course you have, you finish with investing people, but systems and processes to me without those, you're just running. I mean, no matter what business you're in, whether it's manufacturing, distribution, sales, restaurants, any hospitality, anything without the system, without the process, you're just always on the hamster wheel. Talk a little bit about those. Well, systems and processes have to be pulled out of your brain and put onto paper and into reality in order for them to be beneficial to the company. So for most entrepreneur founders, 
Uh, all systems and processes are stored in their brain. It's in the hard drive of our brains. And we do like a, on a, a new client intake, for example, we know, okay, contracts got to go out, got to get them to sign. I got to send an invoice. Like we know instinctively, these are the things that have to happen. But if we don't offload that out of our brain, download it out of our brain and put it into a true system that anybody could step in and handle, then we are always required to be present to make those things work. So every, every entrepreneur has systems and processes, even the ones who are scatterbrained and have paper all over the desk and everything looks like a whirlwind. They still have systems and processes. They just keep them in their brain. Like they know what's supposed to happen. What a true entrepreneur who wants to live the exit lifestyle needs to do is they've got to get that out of their brain onto paper. They've got to get it into standard operating procedures. They've got to make sure that the team of people around them understands why these things need to be done, how to do them, and when they're due. goes back to delegation, doesn't it? Like this is all these things work together. So systems and processes are absolutely essential because those systems and processes you put into place are the only things you have to rely on to make sure that crap gets done when you're not there making sure that the crap gets done. Yeah. So that's what they're about. Now, if you hire me one-on-one, we'll look at whatever systems and processes need to be put in your place, in, in your place for your business. But if you work in my coaching program, like I've got a group coaching program, the one system that I do a training on in that group program is the sales system. And I spend a lot of time on how to how do we set up a sales system that can create predictable revenue without us being present? And then that leads to, as you said, the fourth core principle, which is invest in people. You can have the greatest systems and processes on paper all day long, but if you don't have the right people to make them, <laughs> to execute them, it won't matter. So I teach a very uh, methodical and proven system for how to invest in people financially through training emotional investments in the employees. How do you make them feel welcome and loved and cared for and valued as opposed to being simply a number or a name on a piece of paper? So investing in people is that fourth core principle that is really important. If you're going to walk away, your investments in those people are either going to have a return for you or you're going to lose money. So you got to make the right investment. No doubt about it. All those things could be in place, man. You don't have a good team around you. You'll never be living that exit lifestyle. Never to its fullest. That's for sure. Uh, fascinating stuff. If you guys want to learn more about Jason and work with him, potentially check him out. The real We'll link that in the show notes and uh, you'll see that we just touched on those four principles, which is right there on the homepage of his website. Hey, uh, before we finish it off, I know you've got a podcast. We talked about uh, before we came on that you started during the pandemic. How's that going? And, and what is it about? So my podcast is called the root of all success. And you can listen to it on any podcast player or YouTube or C-Suite TV. So any of those places you can go and watch or listen to the podcast. I started recording it in December, Christmas week of 2020. And uh, my 100th episode is coming up really soon. I think sometime next month I'll be recording my 100th episode. But awesome. the entire the entire idea behind it is I wanted to bring in some of the world's top, most successful entrepreneurs and I wanted to interview them about their story. How did they start the business? How did they how did they work through the challenges and the failures? How did they become successful? I want to ask them their definition of what success means. And then what's also my follow-up question is, well, by your definition, are you successful? And it's really funny to hear people go, well, you know, not yet. Or hell yes, I'm successful. It depends on where, where they're where they are at the moment, but you'll get this insight into how they produced success. And so I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I record, uh, I record and release an episode every single week. 
And then occasionally on my podcast, I also release a, uh, an additional, uh, additional episode called the Entrepreneur Master Series, which is a recording of live webinars I do with guest experts on their area of expertise. So go, you can go to the root of all success.com if you're interested in uh, listening. And we'll link that up in the show notes as well, Jason. Um, so check them out, link in the show notes. Anywhere else, I know that you're big on social media. Where do you want people to, to go uh, on social? Instagram is probably the place I hang out the most at the real Jason Duncan. That's D-U-N-C-A-N. So the real Jason Duncan, uh, you can find me there. I'm also LinkedIn. So you can go there and I've got a TikTok channel under the same, uh, same handle, the real Jason Duncan. I don't post as much on TikTok as I do everywhere else, but Instagram, you can DM me. I will, uh, I will respond. It's me. I don't have, it's not a team of people. It's actually me talking to you. So if you're interested in learning how to live the exit lifestyle and you got a business that you're trapped in, you want to figure out how to get out of, that's exactly what I do every single day. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. This is what I love to do. Beautiful brother. Hey, thank you very much for the insightful content and conversation today. I, I think you do have a maybe another podcast episode that you should probably consider doing. And it should probably be something titled like, why we don't use the D word. <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? Maybe hey, man, so. Thanks so much. Good to connect well, thank with you. you. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it, man.